Hello everybody, I'm Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight I'm absolutely delighted to have Graham Jones with me. Graham's the internet psychologist. Uh, he studies the internet. He's a qualified psychologist. And what Graham doesn't know about selling uh, is more, he knows more than anybody else that, uh, that I know. I've known Graham for 15 years. We both joined the board of the Professional Speaking Association on the same day looked around, uh, asked each other what the strategy was. And of course, by mistake, we ended up being the chairman and the chief executive. That always happens if you ask too many questions. Graham, thanks for uh, joining us tonight. I've got, some, uh, I've got some questions for you. And in fact, the first question is, why are so many of my emails going missing? And why, when I sent Jane Gunn, our friend, an email this afternoon, that went into her spam box? There, you've got a, you've got some questions to answer tonight. <laughs> Is it just your emails that you're worried about, or emails in general? Well, I'm more worried about mine than Wilkie. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are lots of reasons, but actually, it's because email is such dreadful technology. Um, it was great technology when it was invented back in the early 1970s, but things have moved on, and the problem is email technology hasn't moved on. And so the technology that we use for email is the same as it was, you know, 40 years ago, really. So, and it's designed in such a way that actually it's really easy for emails to go missing. So you will have all had people tell you, you know, I sent you that email yesterday and you're going, well, I haven't received it. And they say, well, have you looked in your spam folder? And you look in your spam folder and it's not there. And then you begin to doubt whether they sent the email in the first place. And you think they're just hanging on for time. Well, they're not. They will have sent the email yesterday. Trust people, if they say they've sent it, they know you can trace whether or not they haven't. So they will uh, almost certainly uh, have sent it to you. The problem is something like about 15% of emails never end up and never have ended up where they're meant to go. And that's because of the design of the system. So the system allows emails 48 hours to reach their destination because it's got to, the email that you send is broken up into, depending on the size of the email, can be hundreds of separate little parts. And those little separate parts zoom off all around the world in different ways, and they've all got to join together. Um, and depending on the loads on all the servers around the world, uh, it can take time for all those parts to reaccumulate and rejoin themselves together uh, and finally end up in the right place. So there's a bit of a lag in joining all those bits together. The other problem is that the server, your email server, has got millions of emails coming into it at the same time. So it can't cope with all of those at the same time. So it creates a queue. Um, but if that queue is 48 hours long, then it just drops the email off the end of the queue. So the queue is designed to be 48 hours. And if uh, yours is beyond that, it will never get delivered. Uh, so that's one, one problem. Uh, the other problem is spam. So 82% of all email is currently spam. And so if you, if you were running the servers at Google or if you're running the servers at Microsoft or Yahoo or any of the other big email supply companies, 82% of your costs are for people you don't really need. So actually you're spending a huge amount of money on traffic, on data storage, on processing rubbish. And so what you want to do as a company is to minimize that so that the real emails can get through because that creates the queue causes your legitimate email not to get through. And so as a result, they are tightening up the security 
uh, on uh, email so that if you haven't got things like DMARC or DKIM uh, settings on your email, they will automatically be rejected by these servers. So a lot of emails are being rejected because our email is not as secure as it could be. So that the way we're sending it is not as secure. So that prevents it from getting anywhere. The other big problem that's happening, uh, particularly in recent months, is major attacks on the email suppliers. So Outlook, for example, last week, huge attack on Outlook, preventing emails from going anywhere. Now, you may not be on Outlook, but the person sending it to you may be. And you might not know they're on Outlook because it will be they'll be using their own email address. You know, it might be from me, graham at grahamjones.co.uk. For all you know, that's going out through Outlook. And so if that server's not working because it's been attacked by hackers, then that email can disappear as well. Plus, in the last year, email volume has gone up dramatically, and you can expect the amount of emails that you're going to get in the next year to increase by about 25%. We were expecting it to be up by 18%. So we've got all these combination of factors have all arrived at the same time. That means that significant number of emails go missing. At the same time, you're impatient. 45% of people expect a response to an email between 15 and 60 minutes after they send it. So actually, if you've sent an email Half the people here will expect a response to an email within the hour. Well, the email can take up to 48 hours to get there. So you're saying the email hasn't got there when because you're impatient. So we're impatient. The internet makes us want things straight away. Um, so that's increasing at the same time as the pressures on the servers are increasing. And then add to that uh, increase in hacking uh, preventing big companies like Microsoft and Google from delivering their services properly because big global crimes, crime syndicates and big uh, global nations want email to be prevented. Um, so there's lots of big problems with email. So it's no wonder, Derek, that your emails disappear. I was blaming you, Graham, for that. I've got a couple of questions there. I expect some of uh, the people on the show tonight have no idea what DMAC is, DKRM. Now, uh, you told me that I had to get onto my webman because I didn't have that on the back of my yeah. emails. I don't know how you found that out, but uh, you probably made it up, didn't you? No, I checked. I checked <laughs> whether you had got DKIM or DMARC. Um, DMARC and DKIM uh, appropriately uh, set up on your email. This is something you have to do on the um, email backend system, your uh, DNS um, server for your website. So your uh, web hosting company, or if you do it yourself, you can do these things. Uh, just need to look up DKIM, DMARC, add the appropriate code to your DNS uh, settings, and then Google will accept your email. So at the moment, Google is rejecting lots of emails. So that's why it was rejecting yours a few months ago, Derek, was because you hadn't got those things set up. Now that you've got them set up, it's not rejecting your emails. Uh, we did this afternoon, uh, Graham, but um, last question for you. So uh, everybody on here is um, receives my uh, briefing on a Monday morning, but... Um, only 560 get through at the first shot. And when I resend on a Thursday, another 160 get opened. 
and the people wonder why they've missed the Monday night chat show. What can I do about that? Nothing, because the people did get them the first time. So you send it out with Constant Contact, yeah? Yep. So Constant Contact will tell you, or any email sending system will tell you if it didn't arrive, because they will get a bounce back. Um, although they will stop looking for the bounce backs after, after a certain time, they may be limiting the load on their servers, so they might only monitor for bounce backs for 24 hours, because they don't want too much data coming to them. But so you would get a bounce back message saying that this couldn't get through. You're not getting those, so it's getting through. Here's the problem. Most people don't see all their emails. So we think we haven't had the email. You know, I, I have sat down in people's offices where they've asked me to help them manage their email. And I've looked at their inbox. You know, it says 7,000 unread emails. And, you know, having thousands of unread emails is not unusual in most offices. And so people are overwhelmed by email because they don't manage their email. So your email is there in their inbox, but they're too busy doing other things to see it. So constant contact, resend it. Okay, I like that. That seems to work pretty well for me because I'm getting back up to the number of opens that I yeah. used to have. Um, that's why it's a great, um, it's a great system. I do remember when we were we were working for the Professional Speaking Association, we used to get some quite rude emails, didn't we? And it, yeah. later in the evening, it got the more ruder they actually got. But they were usually about, I never got this email from you. Where is it? What's going on? This is a disgrace. This association needs to, and you used to somehow go in the back end and email them back and tell them when they opened it. Yeah. How so people... Well, because the you're, if you're using something like Constant Contact, it will tell you when they opened the email. Um, and so you can track emails and see when it's open. That's what the likes of Constant Contact is doing. You can get plugins, add-ons for Outlook and Gmail to do exactly the same for you to see when people open things. And people would say, I never received your email. And I would be able to say, well, you opened it uh, you know, at 10 past 10 on Tuesday and you re-looked at it at uh, quarter past five on Wednesday. Um, and so, you know, and I could send them the screenshot showing them they did it, and then they would go, oh, yeah, I remember now. I remember you doing that. Very often you didn't get a reply either. It's amazing how rude people can be on email when they uh, fire a toxic, toxic email off, and then, uh, then you put them right, and then they don't respond. Unbelievable, but never mind. We, um, we discussed this. Uh, and that's why we've got so many positive people on today that don't send toxic emails. Graham, you're always doing uh, millions of things, but at the moment I know that you're working almost five days a week at Buckingham University or the University of Buckingham, as yep. it's called. And I believe that's a private university. It's slightly different. It's funded differently as well. Yep. Um, what's going on in the university sector and what can you tell us about uh, that at the moment? <laughs> apart from the government mucking things up, you mean? Um, so <laughs> apart from uh, that, um, what's happening is uh, students are currently doing exams. So we're exam season at the moment. Um, so that will all be over. I've got marking to start next week. You've just reminded me, Derek. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's not the best part of being a lecturer. Uh, but uh, most universities are in a state of not knowing what's happening. Uh, so uh, it's really difficult uh, for universities. You know, I speak to colleagues in other universities, really difficult to know what's happening because we've got students who want to come to university um, for a university experience, but the university is probably no longer going to be providing that as much as they used to. 
Uh, and then you've got others who don't want to come for the university experience. They want to learn online. And a lot of universities can't afford to do that because they've got literally billions invested in properties and buildings. And, mm. you know, can you imagine, you know, Oxford University going completely online? The whole city of Oxford is owned by Oxford University, effectively. So um, it's you know, a big problem. Will's up in uh, Manchester. My son's a student at Manchester. Uh, they've got a 10-year building program of 1.5 billion pounds. Uh, so they can't afford not to have students there, but we've got millions of students now who don't want to go because they've realised they can learn online and earn money at the same time. So huge state of flux in education uh, at the minute. Uh, certainly in Guildford at Surrey University, uh, where I know some of the students. In fact, we had one on our uh, master group, mastermind group, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, they are building these flats with cinemas, with swimming pools, all sorts of things. So anyone that's got a buy to let or thinking about buying a student buy to let ought to think again because yeah. uh, that market's history, isn't it? And how are these universities going to pay the, um, the interest on these uh, loans, yet alone the capital repayments? I know it's it's a real problem. There are currently, uh, as far as I know, eight universities in the UK which are at risk of bankruptcy any moment. Um, and so, you know, some well-known universities will disappear in the coming years. Okay. Well, in in part one of this uh, program with Graham Jones, I'm just going to uh, get some of the questions answered by Graham, which are coming into the chat box from the. Um, from the viewers um, from Alex says, are there any types of email, Graham, which are more susceptible to going missing? Um, probably the bigger emails. So those with lots of graphics uh, will disappear. Um, those uh, that maybe look like they're a phishing email. So they look like they are uh, potentially got things. So lots of links in them, for example, those kind of things are more likely to go missing because the security checks will say, well, these are a bit dodgy. We need to give them a second look. And then there isn't time to give them the second look because another billion emails have arrived in the intervening time. What about attachments, Graham? Attachments shouldn't be too much of a problem. Um, so the because they limit the size of attachments. So um, each of the email systems will limit the size of attachments. So it shouldn't be that much of a problem. But it's the the email size itself and it's the content of the email that causes the problem is it better to pdf a word doc before you send it uh, from always a... always send never send word documents because word documents uh, can contain uh, bits of code in them and so if there's bits of code in them they're automatically rejected by the email systems so some email systems will reject anything like a word document or a powerpoint uh, or anything else like that, because there's the danger that there can be embedded code in the macros and things that can be added to those documents. So they're, see, they're seen as dodgy documents altogether. Wow, I must admit, I've hardly ever done that. Um, I better start doing it. And it looks like yeah. from the body language of a lot of people watching, and I'm looking at the body language quite carefully, that uh, a lot of other people, are, a lot of people are with me on that. Will Kintish, typical question from Will Kintish being an ex-accountant. Um, did Graham say the crooks don't like emails getting through and why not? Um, if I said that, I'm not quite sure okay. how Will thought I said that, but... Um... You, you said you said the um, um, the hackers and the, uh, the individual hacking groups and nationality and nations yep. as well, I think you said. 
No, they want to stop. They're trying to stop, not stop emails getting through, but to stop the email systems from working. Because if you stop the email systems from working, for example, you stop businesses communicating or you stop governments from communicating. That's what you want to achieve. Yeah, so you want to stop communication. So they want the email systems to disappear or to be broken because then uh, you stop an essential a means of communication. So email is still, uh, other than telephones and you know that kind of meeting face-to-face and printed documents, email is probably the number one means of communication at the moment. And in fact, if we want to get through to our clients or to our friends, it's much better to send a text message or a WhatsApp, isn't it? I certainly uh, try and send text messages to my uh, key clients. It's a much better way of doing it. And they tend to answer it, don't they? Because it uh, surprises them, has a pattern interrupt in psychological okay. terms. Um, a bit of a long uh, question from Jill, but I'm going to uh, read it out quickly. Uh, Jill's always reported, uh, hang on, it's disappeared. Jill's always reported phishing emails when she can. About five weeks ago, she started getting 20 or 30 a day about Bitcoin. Obviously, you bought some Bitcoin, Jill, and made a lot of money. Only joking. Um, has this something to do with Google APIs? No idea what that, that means, but you will, Graham, I'm sure. Um, uh, Jill's just started sending them to the government. Took a couple of weeks, but they've now stopped. What have you got to say about that, Graham? Uh, yeah, so Google Apis or the Google APIs, that's part of Google's software, effectively. Um, so, um, yeah, there were a lot, uh, particularly around Bitcoin um, and other um, uh, cryptocurrencies that were around, um, have caused a lot of fuss. Uh, Elon Musk made a few announcements which caused a huge fuss in the um, cryptocurrency market. That led to lots of people sending out uh, dodgy emails which end up getting caught. Yeah, you, the only way is to report them um, and to block them on your own uh, device. They, they don't even need to know your email address because uh, there is software which can guess email addresses. So you know, just it's a random generator. So you you, you probably have uh, phone calls, uh, you know, random phone calls. I had one earlier from Bolton. No idea who it was. It wasn't a real call. It was somebody, you know, just checking if I've got a number. Um, and that number that it was phoned from doesn't exist. And the number that they, my phone number that they phoned, uh, it was a random number generator that produced the number. People can, there's software that will produce your passwords, that will uh, produce email addresses randomly, just so we know a domain name. We know grahamjones.co.uk. We can generate any number of billions of words and things that will go in front of the at and some of them will get through. That's what's happening. Wow. Okay. Nigel asks, our email sent uh, to a di distribution list? I think he means from a di distribution list affected. Uh, yeah, because it's just just an email. Yeah. So it's just an email. Yeah. So each one of those lists is just a, an easy way of you sending mass emails out. But to the system, they're individual emails. Is Facebook email right? System. Is Facebook right to ban Donald Trump or is that a dangerous restriction of free speech? We're probably getting into that more dodgy area now, which I <laughs> try not to get into. Um, yeah, whether you should ban people or allow free speech, that's an entirely um, philosophical question. Um, the, the real thing is, uh, what impact does it have on the behaviour of, of other people? 
um, and we know that uh, people are influenced socially. Uh, we know that our behaviour is determined by the people around us. Um, and so this is why we've seen certain things on Facebook and Twitter and so on uh, gain strength because people live in an echo chamber of believing that that's what everybody thinks. Um, and so those people who would have been follow following any controversial character on um, any social network believe that everybody else thinks the same uh, without realising that other people don't think the same as them. Mm, that's, so, a session for, uh, that's another session for... Yeah. Um, for the chat show on psychology from uh, from you, Graham, I think, isn't it, as well? You know, that's uh, extraordinary. Alan Kay wants to know, he understands that people who receive marketing emails have a right to ask where the sender has obtained your email address from. I asked for that, uh, but now everyone ignores me. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, under GDPR rules, you can ask them where they got the information from. Uh, trouble is, most people have no idea where they got it from. Hmm. Okay, and our communication apps more likely to be targeted by hackers. Yeah, so everything's attacked by hackers. Even yeah. this Zoom call is currently being attempted to be hacked. So there will be bots trying to get into this at this very moment. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I I put security software on my uh, website, which determines how many times you know mine's a little website. It's not, um, you know massive website so it's it's going to get attacked but nowhere near as much as it's going to get as you know google's going to get attacked and my website has currently something like seven to eight thousand attacks a week that's because you're so popular graham but that's another story for when you <laughs> that it's not that it's just that that's what's happening yeah no i know i get it I get it um we got time for two more questions before i close the first part of the show stay Stay on for the second part, but uh, Chris asks, should we use password generators like LastPass, or is that putting all our eggs in one basket if that gets hacked? No, the software um, password systems like LastPass, like Dashlane, um, like 1Password, uh, those are, they work in a slightly different way. So uh, that means that even LastPass doesn't know what your passwords are. Um, so, and it's, it's relatively impossible for them to find out. They could, if they got together lots and lots of uh, computing power with some supercomputers, probably break in, but it would take them a few years to crack a password um, because of the encryption system that works. So it's pretty tight. Uh, that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that these things are less um, interesting uh, to the hackers. The, the fact is most people don't use them. Uh, so the fact is, most people use um, passwords, something like a third of all passwords in the world are the word password or one, two, three, four, five. Um, and so, you know, I only need to use the word password and we can probably get into quite a significant number of people's accounts for something. And most people use the same password for everything, uh, which means if I've managed to break into one of your uh, systems, I can break into everything else. You've got to be having a laugh, Graham. You were telling people that five years ago. They still can't, nope. be, still can't be doing that. How crazy I'm afraid it is. Well, I'm just going to check my bank account then in that case and make sure you're, someone hasn't... Uh, well, you're going to change it to one, two, three, four, five, six now. Just yeah, to... I think that will be uh, a, lot, <laughs> lot, uh, a lot better. One last thing before we close this part of the show. I put a poll out on, um, on LinkedIn this morning, which got an awful lot of... Um, 
a lot of comments. Um, and this is something you and I discussed because I think we were sitting in the board of the PSA when the when the country voted to leave uh, to leave Europe and everybody was surprised. The book has had it at something like nine to two. We, we, we wouldn't leave uh, on. And I put a, a poll this morning because I'm talking for Mike Ogilvy on on Wednesday about Brexit negotiating tactics. Anyway, the poll was discussing Brexit. Is it as dangerous as discuss, discussing politics or religion? Would you lose friends and clients about it? And the answer was 74 percent of people said it's still dangerous talking about Brexit. Now, that surprised me four years later with all the water under the bridge and everything that's happened. It's still dangerous. Uh, um, I wonder what you thought of that or anybody else for later on. Well, when you've got entrenched views, um, it takes some time for those views to, to dissipate. Um, and just a couple of years is nowhere near enough for a social group of people uh, to get rid of those views and, and have their views change. It's going to take a long, long time for those entrenched positions uh, to disappear. So uh, that's because we are social animals. It's called in-group and out-group behaviour. So all the Brexiteers are in one group and all the Remainers are in another group and all the Remainers see the Brexiteers as out-group um, and therefore you defend your in-group status. So you defend your status by making the out-group seeming even worse. So that will go on and on and on until those group, the barriers between those groups begin to be broken down. And that takes a long, long time for people to coalesce two groups together so that we would then have one group, uh, you know, a group of, you know, another in-group that then wants to have another out-group. Actually, we're seeing a lot more of this um, across um, different countries. So, you, you know, different countries becoming more nationalist, sending, you know, out-group signals to other people. So uh, foreigners are seen as out-group much more. Uh, so we're seeing this happening um, take a long, long time for that to be resolved. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. If I'm not around on the chat show on Monday, you know, it went badly. So uh... None of us would be around, Derek. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking hundreds of years. Graham Jones, thanks very much for joining me. And stay tuned and look at, look at this on YouTube, on the podcast for part two of this fascinating interview with uh, Graham Jones, the internet psychologist. <laughs>